All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they are located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are Okay, now we're recording after like four times of trying to press record. So we got Priscilla back on, on the podcast today. 
Um, we realized that there is a two hour time difference between us instead of three. So I apologize. That's my fault. I wrote through into coming on an hour earlier, but um, a little bit of context of like what we were talking um, about briefly before we started recording is um, something that I always continue to try to touch on with everybody about like kind of like the, the contrast, you know, like between, you know, like, like what we see like online and, you know, like, especially with in like a lot of stuff that I post, you know, about doing all these things and like, they seem like, like epic stuff or like that they're easy to do. So, you know, say like, uh, like this morning and, you know, like the other day I posted, you know, just being in the, the ice bath, you know, minus two degrees, you know, six, seven minutes, you know, and like the struggle that ensues, like it's a big training process for the mind to be able to you know, make it through all those things. But what I always come back to is again, you know, like what I was saying to Priscilla, the, the times where I'm going through different court battles or, you know, having to like represent myself in court or, you know, like fighting for my kids or, you know, like the times where like, it is a struggle just to be able to like face the day. And, you know, like times when you just want to like hide out, but you know, when I'm sitting in that, that ice tank or when I'm doing that 10 K yesterday with the 25 pound plate on the load trainer, you know, my ankles are swollen and my knees are sore. And after 500 meters, my, my mind is just like, stop. Like, like, what are you doing? It's like, I take those moments. I directly contrast them to like all those times where like, it's easier to get out of bed when you're struggling, knowing that you can still run another 10 kilometers, you know, 25 pounds on your back and your swollen ankles, knowing that you've done it or that you get tough out sitting in this, this ice water that is just so intensely cold and you're shivering so bad. And like, it just like all these are just positions that we need to be able to leverage in life to be able to get it, get through it all. And I never want people to think that not only that it's easy or that I don't have all of this other stuff going on in my life. And, you know, it's just something that I was touching on with Priscilla before this. And I just think it's so key, especially right now, because, you know, I had somebody comment on one of my uh, Instagram posts this morning about, um, you know, how like, you know, there's all these YouTube ads now saying like, it's okay to not be okay you know, maybe just dance it out and, you know, like all these, um, you know, different little things that you can do. And he's like, you know, but I know that doesn't work. He's like, one of my family members just committed suicide, you know? And it's like, it brought me back to like how, like, like the struggle is real. Like, like people are really struggling right now, but I also know, you know, like outside of that horrific situation, um, you know, like that Frank posted about this morning is that when we don't condition out that process, like in our mind, it's harder to be able to face these times, you know, of like isolation and, you know, dramatic change, like in our lives. And it brings me back to like why these things are so essential that I keep doing in my life where I test that edge and really know what I can face and what I can't face when real adversity comes into play, like all these things right now. So I know that's kind of like a little like, you know, intro rant and stuff, but again, like, it's just, I think it is so key that we test ourselves to kind of step outside of our comfort zone and that brings us to Priscilla and how a couple months ago, she was super nervous about, you know, coming on like we or I, or just stepping outside of that comfort zone. And I was telling her how I just, I love watching her metamorphosis, you know, like on mine, seeing how like she's come, you know, so full circle and just doing all this stuff and really putting herself out there and speaking to, you know, new people and, you know, just really airing it all out. And I just really appreciate seeing somebody go through that journey. And that's where, uh, where we started recording. So welcome back, Priscilla. Well, thank you for having me back for one and two. That was a really great message to send out to people because right now I find that, you know, with the whole COVID-19 stuff, even with myself, I find it hard to, you know, find joy in everyday things 
and I kind of got to push through that because I can't do my normal routine. And from a mental standpoint, that's really hard for a lot of people. So I think that was a good message to send out to people just to push through the day. And you know what, that's rewarding in itself at the end of the day. What are some of the things like, what are some of the protocols that you're, you're stepping through for yourself that are helping you push that edge, you know, kind of staying on top of your physical game, you know, staying on top of your mental and emotional game and really just knowing that, you know, like it's so much harder to be able to do all these things, but there's such a priority to you and just staying it healthy and making sure your immune system is strong. Like what are some of the protocols you're going through? So it's a lot easier to be like, oh, I don't want to do anything today. I want to sit on the couch. I want to eat Doritos. I don't want to do nothing when times are tough. But I think the most rewarding thing is just getting up and doing it. So I'm a person that enjoys routine. Like if I don't stick to my routine, it's almost as if I get crabby. I don't know if that's healthy either, but I need to stick to a routine. Um, I wouldn't call it meditating, but first thing in the morning, I kind of tell myself like, because I don't know about you. When I wake up, everything that I got to get done just flows to my brain. Kind yeah. of take a second. I silence it and I just say, you got up today. I know it sounds super cheesy, but I did. I got up today and that's all I really had to do is just to get up. And that's kind of like a morning win, a morning motivational speech that I give myself. And then I wake up with my youngest. I spend quality time because I mean, nowadays we're on the go, go, go. It's really hard to be present with your children. And I find just so much peace and real like Zen when I'm with my youngest in the morning, just feeding her and having a moment of silence. And then after that, I kind of allow myself to have my cup of coffee and plan out my day. And usually the first thing I like to get up and out of the way is a walk and a workout. And that just sets the tone for the rest of my day. Then I get things done. And after that, by the end of the day, I'm like, wow, I got X, Y, Z done. And I feel great today. And it just gives me motivation to do it again the next day. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't allow myself any room to slack. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like a couple of things that I, I see there, you know, like touching on like what you said there at the end is that, you know, it's just thing consistent, like with your protocols, things that you know, that like you value and things that you know, that, you know, are going to help. And like, it, it, it'll be way more detrimental to break those habits and to be able to break those routines, you know, and then come back to them after then just kind of slogging through it right now. And just staying consistent with what you know is going to work. You know, but the one thing that you said about appreciating waking up in the morning, like I, when you say that, like that's cheesy, like what first came into my mind is that, you know, kind of like what I was saying, like at the beginning too, is it's a privilege. We get to wake up in comfort, but how many of us value that? How many of us value that we get to wake up with comfort? You know, like you're in a bed, you know, like, you have a blanket, it's warm, you have a pillow, you may or may not have pajamas on, you know, like, there's all these like comforts that kind of correlate with that. And there's been a lot of times in life where it's like, you know, we haven't had those things. Or, you know, like when people were fighting wars for us and sleeping in cold trenches full of water and like, you know, or like people who can't afford a home or who are sleeping in a car or a back alley or anything like that. And you know, like, so like, it's not cheesy at all when you actually kind of put it in perspective of like, you know, when we look at how much we're struggling right now, we are struggling with an abundant amount of comfort and we're trying to find ways to be able to manage having an abundant amount of comfort in our lives right now, which is really interesting. You know, like, it's just like, how can I create protocols to struggle through comfort? 
it's just really interesting, eh? It's funny because um, when I was younger, I mean, I know what struggle is. It was never fun. So now when I see co- people complaining about, hey, I didn't get the kind of car that I I'm like, there's a lot of people that need to walk across town to get to work. You're lucky that you even get a car. And these are things that people don't connect day to day. Like, like you said, we have so much comfort and no one really knows how to appreciate it. And it's kind of, it's kind of sad. So I like to start my morning with gratitude, being grateful. So. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. Now I want to get into this butternut squash in the frying pan that I seen you cook and tell me, I am dying to know. I've been waiting to ask you what the deal is with this butternut squash. So I, I think we need a balance and the summer season's coming. So what was local in my area, Wisconsin is seasonal vegetables. All right. And my children, I don't allow them to have, you know, the pop tart or candy or anything, but seasonal vegetables, I'll let them have, of course, I'll cook it in tallow and call it a day. And that's great. And you had me a little bit curious. I was like, well, you know, carnivore has been so good for so many months, but what if I decided to add in some vegetables or some low glycemic fruit? I'm gonna tell you what, I didn't die. I'm still here talking about it. There's some people out here. I don't like the dogma behind certain diets like it's this way or the highway like I think there's room for experimentation and to see what works for you I felt all right and I'm gonna be honest I didn't feel the best I felt a little uncomfortable but how much of that was placebo and how much of it was really like going on inside of my body I just I personally feel I work better on zero carbs am I gonna add in some fruit or vegetables to get a nice workout if it enhances that because a good workout where I'm really stimulating my muscles enhances my quality of of life versus being low carb and low energy all of the time. I don't know if I'm wording that correctly and you can interject questions where you have them, but I think vegetables and fruit, they have their place. And that's just kind of what I was messing with when you were seeing that story of mine. Yeah. See, and you know, cause again, like this is something that I've, I've started to realize and like a lot of people that I know that are actually in the, like the, like the nutrition landscape, you know, have gone to school for multiple years. have dedicated their lives to like nutrition and because they're so close to me and they see it and they're a part of this journey. I, one thing that I've really realized is it's forced them all to question their belief systems of the information they've been regurgitating all of these years. And I've done that same thing too, because, you know, now knowing like what I know and then, you know, seeing, you know, people like you and like, you know, meeting you and say, okay, well, I was on this carnivore diet for kind of realizing like I was missing something, trying some avocado, trying some coconut oil, those things, trying like this little bit of butternut squash. And I think like when you say like, you know, like where does the placebo effect come in to play? I think there'd be more of like a nocebo effect there because you're open-minded going into it. Like it is, it is legitimately like a trial to you. Like, I don't think, you, you know, maybe you did, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you went into it thinking like this butternut squash is going to be bad. I don't want to do this. I know this should be in my body. Like, so then I could see you giving yourself a little bit of a placebo effect there, but I don't see you going into these experiments, experiments like that, because again, you're like on a, on a thirst for information, you know? And again, like, you see it with like religion, politics, nutrition, training styles, like all this kind of stuff that it has to be a singular way, you know? And like, that's where like, when I walk through my life, I tell people, I'm like, 
the reason why that I'm non-denominational is because I don't agree with any single one of them wholeheartedly. I can find little like chunks out of each religion that I agree with, but I don't agree with one in its entirety. You know, I'm not left-leaning on everything and I'm not right-leaning on anything. I'm kind of like in the middle because it depends on the topic we're talking about. You know, and then it comes same thing with like nutrition is, you know, like what you said, it's like, okay, well, if you're carnivore, you have to be carnivore and this is the carnivore code and this is all it is. Or you have to be vegan and this is what it is. Like this is ketogenic, like this is this, but there's no, there's no room for finding like your optimal diet. Well, you know, what if you're like a, because the one thing I've realized about this ketogenic diet is that like, I'm like a keto carnivore, you know, like, I think that's kind of like really what it's kind of come down to is that like the carnivore diet plays so much money into a ketogenic diet. But you know, like if you're working out enough, like I feel like glycogenesis really isn't taking over your life. If you have more protein than fat, because you're constantly burning off like any um, of that glycogen that your body's turning like from the protein, you know, into glycogen that would normally bump you out of ketosis. Cause like, I'm not super high right now. I'm only about like a 2.8 this morning. Um, you know, and I'm kind of like hovering around that 2.5 plus. And my, like, my goal is to stay within a three to four range. Um, you know, but again, like I eat like an absurd amount of protein, but I, I feel like that's my way of cheating the system for the, the glucose, um, for the workouts without eating like the carbohydrates. But like now I'm like where I thought the same thing as you, well, you know, I want to fuel my body with a little bit of carbohydrate for my workouts. It's kind of like my jet fuel. We all know that, but I feel like I, if you kind of manipulate the protein levels, especially the night before you can almost produce a little bit more glycogen in your body and then work out first thing in the morning and have those same resources without actually ever eating any carbohydrates. So again, yeah, I completely agree with that because when I eat the carbohydrates, yeah, I get an instantaneous, you know, boost of energy, but then I feel like I get a caffeine crash. Like that's the best, like my blood sugar goes down and it makes me feel almost worse rather than if I just do a high protein carnivore approach. Like you said, the next day, I just, I feel great. Like yesterday I ate two pounds of lean meat because I haven't been craving fat in about a sitting. It took me about two hours to eat that entire, entire meal. I was just munching on it. But that was it. I kind of did like an OMAD style yesterday. I'm like 24 hours fasted and I had a really great workout this morning. Yeah. So for yeah. sure. Yeah, go ahead. Finish that. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, where's your glucose right now then if your ketones are 2.5 ish? Yeah, see, my glucose meter, like it was supposed to be here um, for the start of this experiment be because of like the delays in shipping it, like it hasn't got here yet. So I haven't been able to monitor like my actual glucose levels. Um, like I'm hoping that it gets here, like, you know, like any day because like I feel like like showing my ketone levels is only like, like a portion of the story. Like, you know, like I need to be able to find out like what my, like what my blood sugar levels are like. So I really need that blood glucose meter to be able to come in. Um, because I don't know, I'm kind of just like winging it right now. And like, I don't like that. I don't like running like an experiment where I don't really understand or like have the data to be able to, to go with it. And then I thought, you know, maybe too, because I'm just at the beginning stages of this, that, you know, like how long is it going to take to be able to like really clean out like all that glycogen out of my body from like this whole time that I was on this vegan diet. That's why I've been running like a lot of 10 K's lately and doing like a lot of like, um, you know, cardiovascular workout, like fasting and stuff, because like, I just, I want to flick that switch as fast as I can and get fat adapted and then start monitoring like my blood glucose levels so that I can kind of see like, you know, where I'm at in that. And then after I eat like a bunch of protein the night before, where's my blood glucose levels like in the morning, you know, versus in the afternoon, just kind of see 
how I can manipulate that and boost my blood glucose levels through protein and then know what the optimal time of day for me to be able to like work out or, you know, just be able to do more of like an endurance style workout, you know, where I need that little bit more carbohydrate. Can you tell me about your vegan experiment? Let's get into it. I want to know how you felt from like day one to seven after coming from completely meat-based and then completely plant-based. Like how was your sleep? How was your mood? How, how was everything? Day one to seven, I fucking hated it. Every <laughs> single second. Like when, mostly to the fact that I legit gained 10 pounds in three days. Like it was horrible. Like it was like, it, I went from 168 pounds, 169 pounds to 178 pounds, you know, within like the first, like, you know, I think like say two to four days. So like that was hard because then all of a sudden, like, you know, I feel thick, I feel heavy. Like I just, like, I can't move, you know, like I'm, I'm really athletic. So like, obviously is this dramatically changes my performance, like lugging around all this extra weight. Like I was like chronically full, like just felt like I could never digest any food. I was chronically bloated like like tons of acid reflux like things that and those never went away um there would i realized like the really big uh juxtaposition here that i can eat less amount of plant-based food and feel disgustingly full like so like you're just you're like leaning back like oh oh my god oh my like you know and like you're just like where you want to go throw up you feel so uncomfortable but you look at the quantity of food that you've ate and it's not that much you know, but then I'm like, okay, well, I can drop down like these like 10 pieces of bacon and a 12 ounce steak and an avocado. And like, I feel full, but I don't really feel uncomfortable. Now, this is the part that I really noticed is waking up the next day and feeling extremely disgustingly full still, you know, as on the vegan diet. But if I was on the carnivore diet or now even on this ketogenic diet, which is kind of like a carnivore diet, that, um, like, I feel totally fine. I feel lean. I feel great in the stomach. I feel like my food has been well digested. And it, like the first week was always like with the hardest, you know, like looking at like that vegan diet, because I'm like, this is contrary to like what everybody says, you know? So like, everybody's like, well, it's easier to digest. It's easier on your body, like all these different things, but like it wasn't. So I thought, well, maybe this is just because like the enzymes have changed in my body. I have a different micro gut biome, you know, like these things will subside but they all lasted past that first week. They lasted right up into the 30th day. Like there was like legitimately like one night, like I came along, I, I think it was about like 22, 23 days in. And I had just an average size meal. Like it wasn't anything like big, but I was so full, like so disgustingly full. I actually came home and I threw up because I could like my, my body was just rejected. Like I, it, it, like I almost pulled over on the side of the road, like multiple times to be able to throw up because I just couldn't handle it in my body anymore and I just look at the quantity and the quantity didn't even make any sense well then one thing I realized is I couldn't eat quinoa I can't eat rice I definitely wouldn't couldn't eat like pasta and I didn't even try because I've known that from before but like all these grains um and you know like I I couldn't eat any of them you know like I was kind of restricted more to like lentils and chickpeas and beans and all that kind of stuff which didn't necessarily really agree with me either um, like the absurd amount of carbohydrates and like volume that I'd have to try to eat to achieve like an adequate amount of protein for my body. Like I was never able to be able to get my protein stores up, um, or my protein intake high enough in one day versus the amount of like carbohydrates I had to eat to be able to try to get that amount of protein. Like, like it, it, it it's crazy. Like it, 
it, it really made me realize and just like I said, always feeling bloated and inflamed and like thinking it was the, the complete opposite of like how I've always been told, especially by all these documentaries and like the, all this alleged research, like how I would feel. And, you know, people challenged me on like the food I was eating, like whether or not that it was like good quality or, you know, like, oh, well, if you would ate organic, it would have been different. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that's like saying that like I should have only ate like, um, like elk or deer or bear, like, you know, I should only be eating, you know, like these animals, but I'm like, I wasn't doing that either. And, you know, like I had some beef jerky and like, um, like, um, sausage and, um, pepperoni and stuff like that when it's on the carnivore diet. So, you know, if I ate like non-organic vegetables, you know, like when I was on a plant-based diet, like arguably it's going to kind of be like the same, although I still feel like eating the processed meat is way worse than eating non-organic vegetables. Um, you know, just like if people are like, well, you wait, you know, like way more like lentils and a lot more like Indian style food. I'm like, well, yeah, because I chose like a cuisine that I'm used to eating. So I usually eat a lot of Indian food. Um, and plus it's, there's a lot of vegan options. So it just kind of makes sense. And a lot of it was home cooked anyway. So like, again, there's not really that big of a deal. Or even if I did choose to eat, um, that out, I also ate meat from like a restaurant too. So I'm like, what's really the difference if I'm eating meat from a restaurant, if I'm eating a plant-based meal from a restaurant, they're both kind of like takeout food and not like, not, um, you know, like a hamburger from McDonald's or like anything along those lines and stuff. Right. So like I found like that vegans and like plant-based food people are way more hyper attached to wanting to find the reason why your vegan diet didn't suit you the way they wanted it to. Um, then just being open-minded and being like, you know, maybe this just didn't really work out. And the funny part is, is there's actually three vegans, um, that have been vegans for years who all started eating fish because of this, all this stuff that I've gone through and been like watching it. And, you know, and two of them are really big into like the nutritional landscape and they've really kind of came full circle. So it's made me like love and respect them so much more because they've watched me go through this journey. They've tracked the data and they're just like, wow, I'm going to try this. And their performance in the gym, like their cognitive process, like everything is dramatically increased. And it's, they're like, I feel like this light is turned on in my life. And they're like, I feel less bloated. Like anxiety has gone down. Depression has gone down. You know, performance in the gym has gone up. Like all these different things have like increased because they've added that little bit of like meat protein into their diet. Yeah, so there's a million things that I want to touch on there. So first yeah. of all, I saw on Instagram that your plant-based diet also not only made you gain weight, but it made your internal age go up, which was mind-blowing oh. to me. That and your blood pressure. Yeah, and your blood pressure. So that raises the question like, okay, there's clearly toxins in plants that we need to be aware of that you know what? Someone someone could really succeed on a vegan diet. I could see that happening. But we have three major vitamins that you need. You need vitamin, what is it? K12. I have it pulled up on my computer here. D3 and K2, I believe is what it is. And these are vitamins that you can only find in animal foods. Otherwise, you're going to have to do a lot of supplementation. And is that really the right thing to do too? is going out and seeking out supplementation forms of these three vitamins that only come in animal products when you could just be consuming a little bit of eggs or a little bit of fish. No one's telling them to go completely animal-based if they're completely uncomfortable with that. But I feel like animal foods has their place in every human diet. I mean, it's we evolved eating animals, you know. Mm -hmm. And 
you inflaming up 10 pounds, that tells me that, you know, lectins, oxalates, or phytates were something that just weren't agreeing with your body. Plus, I mean, you do gain a lot of carbohydrates, which mean you make you retain water once you start consuming those things. Because to be able to get a sufficient amount of protein, I mean, you're going to need to consume a lot of fat or a lot of carbs because protein is just that building block, but carbs and fats, those are your energy source. So you need one or the other. And in the vegan world, you're just going to end up getting a lot of carbohydrates, which can become inflammatory to a lot of people and impair, you know, cognitive function. Yeah. And kind of like what you touched on, you know, about like, like my performance is directly linked with my mental health. You know, like if, if I can't, you know, if I, if I know I can, you know, like run like a, like a 52 or 50 to 52 minute, like 10 K, you know, 10.5 K, like, and all of a sudden it's like, two or three minutes faster, I think about that. Like, I don't like it. Or like when I'm running, my knees hurt more, my ankles hurt more. Like, I'll always run through it, but I don't want to fight that battle for 8K when I'd normally only fight it for the last 2K. And you know, like, like things like that, or like, you just, you feel like you have to carry yourself through more. Like, you just look at yourself, and you have like this, like this big gut, and you're like, well, I, I'm lean, but I'm so inflamed internally that like, I have like this distended gut, like, and I'm doing all this stuff for health. But if this is how I'm physically representing myself, and I can emotionally feel all these things too. And, and like you said, like, it's hard, like, like nobody can argue with me now in saying that, you know, um, that a vegan diet, you know, doesn't directly affect like your, your blood pressure. I take it every single morning and anybody tracking my results can see. And that's why I posted like the monthly statistic that, you know, over the course of my, my blood pressure was statistically higher than what it was when I was on the carnivore diet, you know? So like, how can anybody say, you know, and then I also had people say, well, you know, you probably overconsumed food, you know, like when you were on the, on the vegan diet. And I'm like, well, I know I did because I would be stuffed. And because I'm on a carbohydrate rich diet, I would walk past some food being disgustingly full and want to eat something else because I'm on a carbohydrate rich diet, which isn't healthy for anybody. And so like I would eat that because I would break in that moment. So I'm like, you know what, if this is what my body's telling me to do, I'm going to do it because this is a part of this diet. Because when you're on the carnivore diet, you don't do that at all. Like it went, once you eat like a steak and you're full, I mean, you're full, you walk past some more meat and you just don't want to eat it. Like, it's just, it's, you don't even really think about it. You just walk right past it. Like it's not even there, you know? So again, that's like, because that's you all, become nutritionally satisfied. Yeah. Once you're done eating, whatever, a pound, pound and a half, two pounds of meat, whatever you want, you're done. Like your nutrients have been made, met for the day. And your body is done thinking about food. And like you mentioned, I, I actually talked about this on my Instagram story is if you're constantly walking around thinking about food after you've gotten done eating a meal, you got to like fine tune something because something there isn't right. You're missing some yeah. nutrients that are making you do that. See, and this is another thing that I realized too, that where I think a lot of people would be unsuccessful on, um, an intermittent fasting or time restricted eating diet, like either one of those and trying to be vegan because like I, I typically intermittent fast. And then, um, in the winter I try to do time restricted. Um, and I guess maybe I should just clarify for that for people that intermittent fasting is you choose a window and no matter when that window is to eat, it doesn't really matter. Um, time restricted eating is only daylight hours. Um, so I just find like in the summertime, it's really hard to be able to do that because there's a, an excessive amount of like daylight hours. Right. Um, versus like not so like I find it like easier to like restrict that you know kind of like in the you know mid to late spring to mid to late fall and stuff but that's kind of besides the point but when you're 
on a vegan diet, you're always chronically wanting to find something. Because again, like I do feel like you're undernourished and you're so carbohydrate rich and like you're just, you're, the, your blood glucose levels are all over the place. Like you're chronically eating. So if you want to go on an intermittent fasting diet in this fashion, you're always fighting yourself to not eat. So how do you ever win that battle? When you go into every single day knowing that I have to fight myself not to eat because I constantly want to pick or nibble or eat because my blood glucose levels are all over the place. Like that's not successful. But on a carnivore diet and a ketogenic diet, it is extremely easy to intermittent fast because like you, your blood glucose levels are a lot more stable and you're a lot more satiated and your nutritional needs are met. Um, like do you, would you agree with that? Like, like how, what's your perspective of that? Like, do you find like it easier to intermittent fast? Do you intermittent fast or just conversations you've had with people before? Oh, 150%. I think that intermittent fasting is a lot easier on a carnivore diet. I did it on the ketogenic diet a lot, but I find it just easier on the carnivore diet where keto diet, I think I would hit like 16, 18 hours and I'd be like, all right, I'm planning out my meal. Carnivore diet, like right now I'm almost 24 hours fasted and I, I'm fine. Like if I eat, I eat. If I don't, I don't. <laughs> It'll yeah. be all right. And that's probably because my last meal was liver and a big sirloin steak. And my needs have been met for the entire day. Um, and I've been tracking my ketones and my glucose after eating protein. Yeah, it rises up to like 97. Would I want it to be around 85? Probably. Mm -hmm. I feel like 97 is a little high for me. But as the hours go by, they drop and they drop, they drop slowly. There's not a spike. Like I noticed two hours, 97, right? Then four hours, I'll be at 90. And then six hours, I'll be at 85. And then towards bedtime, I'll be at like 70. So that's a pretty linear, yeah. you know, drop, that's which so I, I find that to be healthy. And then my ketones, they reflect, they reflect my glucose, you know, they'll be at 0 0.5, 0 0.2. I think that's pretty low for my, for my liking, knowing that when I was on the ketogenic diet, they'd be up. But of course that's because of dietary fats. But then I find the next morning I'm right back at 1.1, you know, that, that means that I'm, you know, cycling in and out of ketosis and prioritizing protein and glucose when I need it. And I think it's important to become metabolically flexible in that way as well. But I, I feel it when I, the higher my ketones, the more focused I feel, the lower, the more, I don't know, energy I want to get out. So it's almost like the protein is making me want to move to further get into ketosis. It's a weird theory. I don't have any science to back it up just anecdotally. Yeah. But the only, but those are the things though, where it's like, you're speaking it with authority because not only are you like, you're doing it, but you're monitoring it. And now you have diagnostic tools to be able to help you understand it a little bit more because like, these are the things that the problem that I have with like the nutrition landscape now is that people are still preaching. There's like this, this singular concept that is still good. Like there will be this Holy grail of diet or like that people don't really need to experiment because I had somebody approach me the other day and they're just like, you know, Blake, like I really want to like dial in like this nutrition thing. And I'm like, okay, knowing what I know now, we're going to embark on this six months journey. I need you to just invest in like these different diagnostic tools It's probably going to cost about a thousand bucks. But I'm like, and I'm like, if you, if you can't commit to that and I realize it's a lot of money, I realize it's a lot of time. I'm like, I can't do for you what you want to do. And I'm like, I will tell you right now that anybody else who's not going to tell you that 
is not going to have your best interest in mind because they don't truly really understand like what's out there now. Like there's too much information out there now and there's, there's too many variables that come into play. And if you want to stay sky high, like, you know, average Joe walking the street, you know, like that's fine. You may be able to keep it a little bit more general, but you know, people like you, people like me and people in our lives, you're looking at like optimal performance. Like, you know, and if optimal human performance doesn't necessarily mean the gym, like what most people think we're athletics, like I want to look at optimal human performance. Like, like you can control your mood in the morning that you just want to relax and enjoy that time with like your youngest. And, you know, like you want to be more present and, you know, like when you go to the gym, you're there and you're crushing it, you know, like, and when you're at the grocery store, you're making good, healthy choices. Like optimal human performance is like optimal life performance. Like you want to just be good through life in general. And I feel like that's like what you're doing. Like you're figuring that out at the age when I like, I was just taking it like all for granted. Like when I was your age, I was still on like the typical bodybuilders diet and training like a bodybuilder. Cause that's just where we were back then. You know, but I look at it now, like you guys just have like all this wicked stuff to, you know, like in all these like diagnostic tools that we can accumulate that normally we would have had to have gone to the doctor for because you would have never had, you know, a blood pressure cuff at home. You would never have like, you know, sleep trackers at home or, you know, EKG machines at home. Like, but we can do all these things now and it's amazing. Yes, for sure. I actually took your advice the last time that we spoke and I went to the doctor and I got my blood tested, my red blood cells, my white blood cell, um, my kidney and liver function. And I was pretty convinced that something in my diet was off and I couldn't quite figure it out. Um, but everything came out, came back perfect in the normal range. My blood pressure was A plus and it just ended up being an, an electrolyte deficiency. And you know what? That, that was the problem to all my answers. My moodiness, my not being able to sleep was just um, pumping up my electrolytes a little bit. And speaking on like plant foods and whatnot, um, just cycling a little bit back to that, experimenting, adding those in, they didn't, they hurt my mind in the way that I just didn't like the way that I looked. And I'll be posting a photo of what happened, but just the influx and weight that I gained within like three days and the inflammation, I lost a significant amount of weight. So I have a little bit of loose skin, but the water retention that was happening within my cells from eating these plant foods, which was the only change that I made was pretty significant. And it, it made me uncomfortable, which means I wanted it out of my diet as fast as I could, because the way that I look and the way that I perform, I mean, obviously, like we touched on a couple times already, it just makes me feel good. So I didn't want to do that anymore. And knowing that all my kidney, I can eat like 200 grams of protein in a sitting if I feel like it. I'm a small lady, but I can eat. And my kidney functions are amazing. So like the argument of a lot of protein hurts your kidneys, I don't buy it anymore. I just don't. Same with like um, being hard on the liver, having to process all the proteins and make it into glucose I don't buy that either because my liver's a plus as well um is this to say that something won't change over time I don't know but I'm going to keep measuring to figure it out and I think that's important for people that want to optimize their health see and you know like you touched on like a, a good point because um I actually technically have glomerulonephritis which is a kidney disease um you know although like you know my body has repaired itself out of it like the, like doctors don't even really know like how because like glomerulonephritis isn't really something that your body self-corrects like you kind of just have it and you're living with it but like the last time I got it checked they're like you like on the ultrasound you couldn't they couldn't even tell that I had glomerulonephritis and and this was like 20 years ago like I haven't even got it checked since then 
you know, but like my argument to that is that theoretically, if I have like a kidney disease and processing that amount of protein is hard on your kidneys, you think I would have had some severe adverse effects being on a carnivore diet, you know, for like a month, but I never did. And then my kidney function when I got tested was totally fine too. You know, so like it was only really like, I think it was my pancreas that was like inflamed, you know, at the end of uh, like the carnivore diet, but like everything else was like, okay. And when I went and got tested and see, this is the fact, this was the part, you know, like when Ariel tested, like everything, all my health, according to the statistics that she tested, and even she thought like, you know, same thing like as me, like, you know, my health should be way better than what it was on the carnivore diet based on all the research that we've done. And it was at least 200% worse. The only thing that was better in all the diagnostic testing that I did, um, there was two things actually. So I just want to like highlight the contrasts. Like my internal biological age was about plus 10 years consistently throughout the entire month. Uh, my blood pressure was consistently up and almost to like, you know, grade one hypertension or just outside of the optimal range. Um, my sleep wasn't as good as a lot more restless. I could tell because my sheets were like all over the floor, kicked to the end of the bed. Um, so I could tell I wasn't getting as good enough sleep because I was uncomfortable. I, you know, gained that 10 pounds and, you know, like I kind of lost about five or six of them, but I'm still about 171, 172 now. Um, you know, like all my organ function was a lot worse when, uh, being on the vegan diet. Um, my strength was way down. The only two things that I can say that were, uh, positive um, is my red blood cells were freer than what they've ever been they were not coagulated together they were a lot more free and abundant and really active like what they should be so that was a plus um, when on the carnivore diet they were extremely like congealed together they were clumped together and just not functioning very well so I thought that was a plus um, and my endurance was up so like like those kind of things like those are the two things that I would see like you know being a potential like pro of, you know, like being on a vegan diet. But again, those two things to me don't, don't outweigh all the other negative effects that were going on because like those other things are going to age me and or lead to a lot more long-term adverse health effects if I continue on with that diet than what was going on with the carnivore diet. Definitely. And do you think that's because your body, I mean, protein from an animal source is more bioavailable. So your body didn't need to work as hard to fight to find these nutrients. Like it was just being sufficiently absorbed and utilized throughout your body. Would you agree? I totally agree. And this is the one thing that I challenge uh, vegans with all the time. And nobody can give me a, like a good answer. And uh, like I challenge vegan nutritionists with like this too is like, if everybody wants to say that, like, the amount of inflammation that happens in our body because it's so hard to digest meat and digesting meat is pretty much like the worst thing for our body. How is it now that said so being on a carnivore diet, going through a vegan diet, now going back onto a, like a ketogenic diet that my body, I know processes meat a thousand times better than what it does, you know, being on like a vegan diet. And I was way more inflamed being on a vegan diet. So tell me, are you regurgitating stuff that you've read or have you experimented yourself to be able to tell me that a vegan diet is still better for me when I'm telling you that it's not because I've actually experimented it. And like, it, I always just get met with a blank face. No like, answer at all. No, or because there's like, just like a roundabout answer that maybe you weren't doing it right. Like you said earlier in the discussion. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, you know, like maybe if it's more organic vegetables, you know, maybe if it's more um, plant, uh, whole food, plant based, 
you know, maybe it's more raw food, you know, like all, all these different reasons, except for just saying, well, why does that matter? Like, like it really, it really doesn't matter because again, I wasn't eating the perfect carnivore diet either. I was just eating a carnivore diet. I wasn't eating the perfect vegan diet. And what is a perfect vegan diet? Who even knows? Because again, there's a hundred sub diets that classify as like a vegan diet. Same reason why there's like a hundred different carnivore diets that classify it under the carnivore diet. So, you know, but again, like how, how far do we want to pick that apart to try to justify the results when I'm saying, no, like, like this is the real time data. Like my health went way down being on a vegan diet. Now, again, like that doesn't mean that everybody's going to like have that same effect, but this is like my point behind all this is how can anybody selling a vegan diet to everybody saying that that's the best diet for everybody? Like it's not, I think it's irresponsible to be able to tell people that. So my question, I didn't want to follow too much on your vegan diet because I wanted to have some genuine questions when we spoke, but were you eating like a whole bunch of processed vegan stuff like tofu and whatnot? You know how they can make noodles and crap? I don't know. I don't eat yeah. vegan at all. Or were you just trying to stick more to whole foods? What did that look like for you? Um, I tried to stick to like more whole foods. So like tons of hummus, tons of like, you know, like fresh vegetables, um, you know, like bell peppers, cucumbers, carrots that I would dip in the hummus, you know, to, like with the chickpeas, get the protein, um, lots of different lentil dishes, um, like chilies, like vegan chili, um, you know, like things like, like I didn't really, I, I arguably ate less processed food on the vegan diet than what I did on the carnivore diet, because the few times when I went hiking, I was eating all like the pepperoni and the beef jerky, just said like out of convenience of like, you know, hiking all day. Um, I, I committed to wanting to eat this Beyond Meat burger, um, and I told everybody I was going to do it, uh, but I couldn't bring myself to doing it. I, like, I just, I, like, I don't, I, I, I can't even fathom putting that garbage, like, in my mouth. Like, I just, like, I couldn't do it because um, of how heavily processed it is. I eat tofu, like, a couple times, um, you know, but, like, not really, you know, like, an abundance of it. Like, it's just really, really minimal. Um, I would say, like, you know, like, a lot of, like, um, like uh, spinach Indian dishes, um, like lots of different, like, you know, dal dishes, like dal is just like, you know, like lentils with like different curries and stuff. Um, you know, so like, like things like that, but like not really like a lot of like processed food, like at all. So which like, again, yeah. this goes back to the shocking part behind it is that that's why I said like my diet was arguably cleaner on a vegan diet than what it was on a carnivore diet and had way worse or side effects. Right. I didn't hear you telling me last time that if you ate a grass-fed steak or a grain-fed steak, you felt like, you felt like trash. It was about the same, and you felt great. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And I find, you know, like let's talk about the Beyond Meat burger. I think that's a whole lot of garbage. Like you said, it's fucking bullshit. It's not right when you can just go to the cow and eat the cow. And with the import, like I want to talk about importing all these vegetables and how how much, you know it impact our environment, you know, flying all these produce to your local grocery store everywhere. Like what's doing the, the worst thing here. Cows have like one bad day in their life if they're raised properly. And that's the day that they come from farm to table, you know, and then you're importing avocados from Mexico and then you're getting bananas from Guatemala or whatever. I just say, I just think the transportation of all of these are, are hurting us more like behind Besides our bodies, our environment is being affected by eating a vegan diet. How do you feel about that? I think that you're touching on like a really good point that is extremely controversial because I think that 
so like this this is the contrast to me like the sky high view and then i'll i'll dive down into like the detail a little bit more so the sky high view is is that people want to say that factory farming is terrible and i'm like okay factory farming is or like commercial farming of cows and pork and you know chickens and that kind of stuff like is theoretically bad because we've chose to only eat a very small portion of that so like my argument to that is is that you know like if we said okay i'm gonna buy a tomato and i'm only gonna eat the seeds out of a tomato you know like and i'm gonna throw the rest of the tomato away how many more tomatoes would have to be produced to be able to meet that and what would be the environmental impact on that it's irresponsible to only eat a certain amount of the product that's available so because we've gone to like i'm not going to eat the tail i'm not going to eat the you know um the hooves the legs the pig's feet the um the liver the kidneys the heart the the tongue the lips the cheeks the eyes like if we did that that would reduce the amount of commercial like farming that we'd have to have of like all these different meat sources because we're we're eating the product more responsibly like i think that is the biggest thing but but that's the point that people kind of forget like you know like but like what about the environmental impact of like how much of the produce we throw away well there's the ugly produce that doesn't meet the grade that the farmers throw away like right at the beginning anyway that just gets tossed that doesn't even have a chance of making it onto the shelf at the grocery store but then grocery stores throw away over 50 percent of their produce like on a weekly basis anyway because it goes bad in the grocery store so like like what happens that like what's the environmental impact not only that, then you're, like you said, you have the transportation costs. Well, you know what, you're not flying in cows, you know, from around the world. You're not flying in pork from around the world. Like these things are going to be, you know, produced a lot more locally than like what we are going to be like for fruits and vegetables. You know, then you talk about things like water. Well, if anybody's researched avocados and how much water avocados alone, you know, take to be able to grow and some of the major controversy happening in Mexico about how corrupt the government is in selling, you know, water rights to some of the, like these bigger cartels making all these like avocados. Like it's crazy. Like it's completely devastated towns and eliminated their water sources because all these avocado farms are sucking up all the this water. But again, then you're spraying the boxes. You have to make boxes to transport um, these in. Then you have to transport them, you know, through several different um, countries. Then to warehouses, you know, and then off to, like individual like grocery stores. Like you said, the environmental impact along the way then you take that all the animals that you've killed harvesting all those you know like plants and you know like um all the fruits and vegetables but then again the environmental impact of you know taking away land and habitat from ducks and geese and all these different animals and stuff too that's eventually killing them and pushing them into like areas where they shouldn't be or that's not their natural habitat where they're not gonna live it, it's such a loaded question but again i think like like people only look at such a small portion of it when there's such a huge component to be able to look at in like the environmental impact side. Um, I actually think that if we kept the same commercial practices for um, factory farming of like cows and pigs and chickens right now, but we ate those products more responsibly, it would naturally reduce the amount of quality and actually be better than producing all these fruits and vegetables from around the world and carting them here. But I know that's kind of like a little bit of a rant and sorry that if it was a, a little bit of a convoluted way to be able to get to the answer. Oh, no, I, I'm all for it because, you know, that brings us back to the nose to tail aspect. Like you said, we just need to eat more responsibly. But 
if you think about it, when you're put into your environment, like survival mode, and you're only limited to nature around you, it's going to take you hours and hours and hours to scavenge for berries, you know? And again, that brings us back to convenience and how we can go to the grocery store and get it. But if you think about it from an ancestral perspective, all we would have had to do is kill a deer, kill a couple rabbits, and we would be satisfied and able to sustain ourselves for a couple days. Would it be optimal? Probably not, but that's the situation that we were put on. Now, if you just chose not to eat meat, you would probably starve to death trying to search for food. Mm. And I know there's multiple studies about it. And if you live in a colder climate, like for an example, you're in Canada, correct? Yeah. Yeah. How, how available is berries around you all year round? <laughs> so, and, and so see, like you make a really valid argument there. Like, so I came from two very distinct different components of Canada. So like I was born in Southern Alberta where it's like a true desert on both ends of the scale. Like in the summertime, it's like 35, 40 above and everything's dry and dead. And, you know, then on the other side, in the wintertime, it's like minus 30, minus 40. You know, so then everything's like snow covered and cold and dead. There's just really small pockets out of the year where like things can actually grow and you can prosper. So it'd be very hard to be able to live in a climate like that. If you were plant-based, you would need some kind of other source. Now I live on the West Coast where like it's a tropical rainforest. So like there's stuff growing. You could eat stuff all year round, like different like plants and all that kind of stuff because it would be available to you, you know, but again, it's not like everybody has always migrated to a place in the world where like the climate was perfect, you know, like where there was some kind of vegetation that would be, you know, like available all year round. And then just knowing like what we know now about, you know, blood glucose levels and, you know, being carbohydrate dependent and like, you know, you're always like hungry. Like I could not imagine early human beings constantly eating an abundant amount of carbohydrates because all day long, all you're thinking about is, how can I get more food? The same reason why, like, I couldn't walk past, like, the food sitting on my counter, even though I was disgustingly full, like, I wanted to eat it because I was carbohydrate, you know, um, dominant. So, like, how, how's that even realistic when we don't have grocery stores, fridges, or homes, or anything, that that's what your day is like? You, you would naturally think that we would want something like meat, where you're like, okay, I'm going to eat all this meat, I'm going to get full, and I might not even think about eating for the entire rest of the day, and I'm nutritionally satisfied. You know, like that seems more logical to me. Definitely. And we were definitely meant to feast and fast. So when I hear um, men and women say that they ate X amount of pounds of meat in one sitting and they just didn't eat for 36 hours, I think that's all but natural. I think that's what we were meant to do. That's what we did do. We would feast and eat as much as we could. And, you know, Fun fact, and I don't think this is uncommon to some of your listeners, is that when we actually ate an animal, we went for the organs first. We yeah. prioritized that. Like, those were delicacies. We wanted to eat the fat because we just intuitively knew that that's what was going to give us the most energy until the next time we got our next kill, you know? And if you can get satisfied off of all that for days, why wouldn't we gravitate more towards that? Because even if you do live in an area where you have an abundance of produce, like how much produce are you actually going to need to consume, like touching back on you to meet your protein needs, yeah. you know, without getting the glucose spiking. So it's just an ugly cycle. See, and like, and this is like a, an interesting kind of like personal fun fact that, you know, I was thinking like, as you were saying that, cause we're talking kind of like, 
early humans and just being able to survive, right? So I kind of look at it from like my myself, like if we were vegans, like what people want to sell, like this is how we like survive. Well, if I know that my strength dramatically decreased with having an absurd abundance amount of like vegan food that I can eat versus having to forage for this vegan food, that if I ever had to defend myself against like another human being or like an animal or anything, I would have not felt confident at all because I just, I was like, I just wasn't strong. Like I didn't feel strong. It was like my measures for that is just like, I'm 170 pounds. It's 170 pound bench press for two minutes, 170 pound uh, barbell squat for two minutes um, and 170 pound deadlift and chin ups. Like everything's kind of the, the equation of like my body weight. Right. So when I did the, when I racked off the barbell for the bench press, I didn't even feel like I could lift it for one rep. Like, like, like soon as I racked it off, I was like, Oh, I'm in big trouble here. I'm like, this is a, like, I, I didn't think that I would be able to even get like one rep in. And I think my first set I did three. Um, and it was a struggle. Like it was a serious, serious struggle to be able to move this weight. And I'm usually always good for like the first, like 10 reps, bang out a quick 10 and then just kind of keep repping out like sets after that for the two minutes. Um, but definitely like not like also I look at that like being like an early human you know maybe like two three thousand years ago you know I would have never been able to defend myself or what if I needed to climb that tree to get those bananas that were up there or those coconuts or anything like I don't know if I would have felt like confident or stronger you know, maybe just have like that kind of like natural strength but like when you look at like a lot of these like indigenous tribes that they like kind of make first contact with even now they're like extremely, extremely like emaciated. Like they're not very strong at all. Like they might be like agile and have some endurance, but like, like they're just like, they're, they don't have an abundant amount of like physical, like meat on them. Like they're all like extremely, extremely lean. So like, how can we not draw those direct correlations that like, if you, if you need to be physically strong, you need to be able to eat some meat sources because we see these people who are foraging predominantly off like plant-based diets who are just like emaciated. Yeah. And I think there's your bone density. Can you tell me about that? Like, did that change at all? Yeah. When you were doing the experience? Yeah. It's actually like uh, something that I've been meaning to check what, like on my scale, like what the bone density um, was like, but I haven't actually had a chance to be able to look at that. And that's one of the problems with this COVID-19 thing too. I'm supposed to be going to um, body comp imaging, they do the full scan, like the infrared scan and all, like all that kind of stuff but they're closed right now for like the last like two times I've got tested. So I can't test again to be able to see like if there's been any changes like in my bone density, because like those are things that I'm really interested in because, you know, like, I don't know if the point where you're going with this is that like, you know, like all of our cells are made in our bone marrow. So if your bone density is changing, that means that your body's not producing bone marrow is uh, like, very well it means that your red blood cell count's going to be off your white blood cell count's going to be off like right your body's taking from itself what's that sorry it's like your body's taking from itself to preserve yeah. energy because it's yeah. not finding from external sources so it's getting it from you yeah you know yeah. so it's like all those kind of things that i really wanted to be able to to track because they are critical and that like the guy who owns body imaging like he said like that's his number one sell to people like who cares about how much muscle mass you have on your body? Who cares how, how much fat mass and like all these things? What you should really be worried about is like the health of your bone density because like that is something that is like an absolute predictor of like longevity of health because 
that's that's your power plant like that's that's the epicenter of health is your bone marrow and your bone density that's interesting to me so um what are all the metrics that exactly that you were did i yeah we're good now oh, sorry my yeah, no problem. I'm on my cell phone and someone was giving me a call. I, I apologize. No problem. No problem. Um, the, the, so the only metric right now that I've consistently to be able to use to like, um, if, if you were kind of like leaving there, cause obviously it went on mute that to calculate my bone density to be able to track that is just on the scale that I use that kind of offers like that metric. But I just, I don't really trust this accuracy. That's why I wanted to go to body comp imaging and do all my testing there because like, that is accurate. Like you're with a team of doctors, you know, like you're going through all this, these different imaging and all these different scans um, that will actually tell you like accurately that information. So like I can kind of generalize it right now based on like the scale and I can go back and look at it in something that I want to do. Um, but I don't have anything better than just that at this present moment. Gotcha. You know, so now that you went from a carnivore and vegan and now that you're on the ketogenic diet, you said you're more a keto carnivores so you're still prioritizing more meat now that you have the choice yeah you know and it's like it makes me realize like like getting back into eating meat like a couple things like how much my body was starving for that meat um how much i actually just like eating meat like i always kind of knew i liked eating meat before but i just actually really enjoy eating meat um but i feel way more satiated now and to me that's like such a huge win because I don't like feeling hungry. Like I actually really don't like the feeling of like hungry or my stomach gurgling or going through like these, you know, like highs and lows of my blood sugar levels. Like I just like to eat and just be done with it. I have too many other things going on in my day to be able to like think about, um, you know, then having to worry about where my next meal is coming from, like what it's going to be. And it's just easy to be able to grab like a chunk of meat and just be able to like, just be able to eat it. And like, I even find like, like the fats, you know, like, cause I try to eat like a healthy amount of like fat, like in my day too, but just eating a lot more fats. Like it, it's so hard to explain to people that you can eat like, you know, like six, 700 grams of fat in a day. And like, you know, three, 400 grams of like meat in a day and metabolically feel amazing. And just like, like, it's hard to wrap because it is so contradictory to the information that is out there you have to live it to be able to understand it. And I'm addicted to feeling fantastic. Like I have like this, this in my mind, like I love when my mental health is on, my physical health is on. Like I love when I'm clear, like I love all these different things. And this is what like protein and fat offer me. And I've really realized this isn't what carbohydrates offer me, you know? So like if anything, because I'm not a huge supplement kind of guy anyway. And I feel like obviously we can get the majority of that, like through our diet, if we kind of do things right. But what I look at it between the juxtaposition between the two is if I'm going to be only on a carnivore diet, I do need to supplement some things in. Absolutely. Like, you know, if I'm going to take just supplements, if I don't want to intake anything else, just to make sure that the levels are high. Like I do believe that to some extent. Um, I actually think like on a vegan diet, you also need to do that more um, because again, like I can change the different kinds of meat sources that have like different organ meats, shellfish, fish you know, beef, chicken, poultry, all these different animals, and they'll all have a different nutrient source. But the one thing is with a vegan diet is that your protein is always going to be low. And then what you're doing is you're supplementing it with like these protein powders that I wouldn't want to take anyway. And on top of that, you need to take, 
you know, like a, a vitamin and mineral protocol. So you're going to take more supplements on a vegan diet than what you would on a carnivore diet. So again, and then you're not as satiated on a vegan diet as what you are on a carnivore diet. You know, like, the, so like if I had to go with one or the other, I would rather do the supplementation on a carnivore diet than do the supplementation on a vegan diet. Because again, like the quantity is less, but like the spinoff of the two diets, the carnivore diet, I'm arguably healthier than what I am on a, on a vegan diet. Yeah, not only are you saying that from how you felt, but I mean, you had the data to prove that. So moving forward, do you think that there's going to be a huge uprise in the carnivore diet, at least keto carnivore? Because I see a lot of people on Instagram kind of like going back to keto carnivore, like being almost 95% animal based, and then a few berries here and there, which is whatever, as long as they're getting the main point around that you need animal protein to survive and animal fats too, like from the meat itself, not necessarily adding a whole bunch of coconut oil into your bulletproof coffee. Yeah. I think like for me, like if I was, if I had to kind of like promote, like I would say to somebody go carnivore for a month or actually no, I would say go carnivore for two weeks. Cause like after a couple weeks, like you're clicking right along. And you know, like I think like after a couple weeks, if I started supplementing a few things in, I could have like curbed a few of like the side effects I got on the carnivore diet um, towards like the end of like week three. So I'd say go on a carnivore diet for like a couple weeks, then start introducing a few things like, like almond butter, coconut oil, avocados, you know, like some like healthy fats, like some nuts, like when you want them you know, run that protocol for two to four weeks and then do whatever you feel like feels natural to your body after that, because that'll become your base. If you walk by some blackberries and you want to eat the blackberries, eat them. If you walk by some carrots and you want to eat them, eat them. But I guarantee that that portion of that stuff will just naturally be very low. You know, so like, I think people, like if you see it, you kind of like want to eat it, just eat it, don't restrict yourself. But I don't think people will eat it in abundance because once you kind of get like in like that keto carnivore range, like I find even like right now, I'm like, I'm not even really craving vegetables anymore. So I think like right now I have like this real disdain for like, you know, like a vegan and a plant-based diet because of like how it made me feel. And just knowing that like, I don't really even feel like I want to eat them because like, I'm just, I'm kind of past that point because I'm in this keto carnivore zone. Um, but I also do see the benefit from a micronutrient standpoint eating them. That's why I would. You know, because again, like I'm not supplementing on this ketogenic diet either. And I know there's a few things I'm, you know, like some micronutrients that I'm missing out on right now that should be a part of my profile, that that's why I would casually kind of eat like fruits and vegetables, which like that, if I had to like stand behind of like how I feel, that is, that's what would be my stance in like a nutritional landscape. And I just think it's a lot more feasible for people to, you know, being metabolically more stable you know, and not like snacking on all this junk food in offices all day long. Or like, you know, I look at people now like easily, like across the board, I would say like people gain 10, 15 pounds because they're at home eating like shit. They're not prioritizing their health through this COVID-19 thing at all. And then, you know, like if you're more metabolically unstable, you're more susceptible to getting things like COVID-19, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So the more metabolically stable we can make our bodies, you know, like that's going to be like the spinoff benefit. And I feel like that's what kind of like a keto carnivore diet offers you as well. So I just think like the overall benefit of it far supersedes, you know, being on a, on a vegan diet, because I feel being on a vegan diet, knowing what I know now, knowing that my healthcare went down, blood pressure up, internal biological age is up, overall weight is up. 
Well, all these things may be in a high risk category for hypertension, heart disease, and diabetes. Well, now I'm way more susceptible to getting something like COVID-19 or even just like the seasonal flu. And I don't want that. Right. Than you were before. Um, this is going to sound a little conspiracy theoristy, but I'm seeing all around the board, like on YouTube, on TV, that right now it probably isn't the time to diet. Right now isn't the time to, you know, worry about going to the gym. Right now isn't the time to be fasting. And I completely disagree. I think right now is the time that we should be focusing on our nutrition and fixing our bodies from, you know, a molecular level from the inside out and get our bodies moving because that's what's going to make us more re resilient to something like COVID-19. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's why like, I keep asking people. And that's why like I asked you and I ask people like every day, and you know, I put it on the podcast all the time, like, what are your COVID-19 protocols, besides trying to find hand sanitizer and toilet paper? Like, what are you really doing? You know, like, are you are you there saying like, look, I'm in a high risk category at 35. Because I've chose to be here. You know, like, why not stack the cards? Like, this is a chance to make a real fundamental change to how you're living your life. Like, being healthy. You're at home. Start, like, cooking your meals. Be aware of, like, what you're putting in your body. Because, like, I agree with you. Like, like, this can be a shift for the better if we choose it to be. But there's not this overarching message that's going out there being like, you know, even look at this. This is, this is something I rant about all the times it drives me nuts. What's the number one thing that beats down your immune system over and above everything else? It's having cortisol levels high, high stress hormone in your body. So when people wake up every day and it's like, stay at home, you should be scared. Don't go out, wear a mask, wear gloves, get hand sanitizer. Don't be around anybody. If you go for a walk in the forest, you're going to get COVID-19. If you go to the beach, you're going to get COVID-19. Like, you know, people are going to die. The mortality rate is off the charts. Like people are like, oh, they're frazzled. Well, now you've made them susceptible because you've beat their immune system down. Their cortisol levels are so high. And now they've sanitized their life, killing all the good bacteria on their body and their cortisol levels high. Like now you've created people like this susceptible class that normally wouldn't even exist before. You know, instead of just saying like, hey, look, this is something we need to stay away from these old people. This is a great time. Like we're going to give you the resources right now to stay at home. Go out for walks eat healthy where's the commercials going on tv right now saying like hey this is what healthy cooking looks like what healthy meals have you ate today like what are you doing for your health and wellness strategies have you meditated today like you know like any one of these things like the government is being so irresponsible right now and kind of like issuing like this great avenue for people to walk down with like personal health care because this guy reached out to me on on a instagram the other day and he's like like what's this tool that you're using this diagnostic tool so I'm like, oh, it's this, this, and this. So he researches it and he's just like, he's like, well, I don't have $200 to spend, you know, like on this diagnostic tool. And I'm like, fair enough. And I'm like, this is the problem. Like, you know, like with our society is that people who want to progressively stack the cards in their favor from their healthcare and not be a burden on the healthcare system, not be as susceptible to things like COVID-19 and be a functioning, contributing member to our society and our economy, you're not willing to subsidize those things. You know, like there's no kind of subsidy to be able to like, I want an at-home blood pressure monitor so I can monitor it every day to make sure that I'm on the right track. You think governments should be giving away that shit for free for anybody who wants it, or like a glucose meter or an internal biological age meter or any of these diagnostic tools for people who are clearly wanting to be able to take their healthcare into their own hands, but we're not. 
like at all, you know, like it, and those are things that are astonishing to me. Cause you know what, I can go to Walmart right now and buy a hundred bags of Skittles for like 50 cents. Right. Exactly. None of these things are really available to the norm. So of course the people that are poor are more susceptible to being sick because they can't afford to go buy, um, you know, a pound of steak for themselves, but they can definitely afford to buy some bread and some processed cheese to make grilled cheese. Yeah. Which again is going to make them more susceptible to getting something like COVID-19 because their immune system can be beat down. They're in a higher risk category for getting diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, all these things. So it's like, like that, that to me is like the irresponsible part of this. Cause that's why I also posted like on my Instagram the other day about, you know, like we in Canada just, from what the government has given out is $800 billion. So like obviously every government has their own contrasting amount to the amount of citizens and all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't even calculate what the economic impact is going to be after all of this. And like, that's like the really bad fall. But then you take these people, like, I don't know what it's like there, but we have people protesting now going back to work because they're saying like, we don't want to be the first people going back to work because we're kind of like test dummies for everybody else. And it's just like, is it that, or are you now so lazy from being at home and you don't want to be a functioning member of society because you've been getting your $2,000 a month and that's more comfortable for you. And now you become more of a burden on our society. Your healthcare is going down. Now you don't want to work. And all like, I did, like, I see the, how this has unraveled our, our, like, our complete society. And a lot of that is because now people's mental health is so bad because again, We've offered no solutions to be able to keep yep. people's mental health above board, like diet and exercise and meditation and you know, like all these different things that like we could have been doing along these ways to be able to improve ourselves. Like, like you're a prime example of this because people say this to me, but I think that you're a great example of this too. Because people keep saying like, Blake, we're going through all of this adversity in life through this COVID-19. Life has been completely flipped on its head but you're choosing to make life harder for yourself right now, going through like all these different tests and these diets and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you could look at it that way fundamentally, but what I'm actually looking at it, like me, what I'm looking at is that when something that is actually worthy of me being scared of, unlike COVID-19, when something is going to a virus that is actually going to attack healthy 36 year old males who are active, who have a strong immune system, who prioritize health, when that virus comes around, I want to be like, look, bitch, let's go. Like, I want to be like, I got, like, I'm going to make that virus work for everything that's had. And I'm finding that out now. And I'm being gifted this opportunity now. And you're doing the same thing. Like at this time when, when people are telling Priscilla, just give up, just give up Priscilla. Like, you know, it's so much, you just give up. Why are you doing all this right now? Like, you don't have to do this. Like, don't put yourself through all this extra stress and you don't have to work out right now. Just give yourself the option of taking the day off and it doesn't even matter if you get out of your pajamas today and it doesn't even matter if you don't have a shower like just go for the chips today like don't be so hard on yourself but like you're choosing to go the opposite because you know like you have this instinctual primal aspect to you that just knows that that's the right avenue to go down see it so I'm going to share a little story. The other day I was on a walk with a friend and I sent her a Snapchat before I left and I was like, I'm on my way. And I sent her a little checklist of what I just got done. That's why it took me so long. And she asked me, she's like, why do you do all that? You know, I was just making baby. Um, so not. And she asked, she says, 
why are you so extra? You know? And Mm -hmm. I say, and I (laughs) tell her, I'm like, I'm not, I just, I really like getting this stuff done. And she says, well, what time do you even start your day? And I said, I start my day at like 4am, 5am. I get mad if I sleep in longer than that. I feel like I lost my, my morning, my routine. And she says, wow, I don't even get up until nine, you know? Um, sorry, my phone's about to die. Uh, But yeah, she goes like that. And I say, you know, I haven't always been this person and diet was a big tool to why I feel so good right now. But it's beyond that, like eating right made me have the energy to want to do more. And then beyond that, it makes me strive for more. It healed my brain. So I just kind of want to do whatever, whatever enhances that now that I know what it feels like. And little backstory, I'm kind of going all over the place, but I used to mess with, you know, drugs when I was a teenager. And now that I know that I have something that makes me feel that way without using any substances, like I naturally feel up and ready to go. Like, why wouldn't there's some magic to that, you know, sorry. (laughs) If you want to be back on track now that I got my phone all charged. See, and, you know, and it is those things, you know, and I look at them, you know, it's kind of like the same thing that, like, you allude to. Like, I think the only reason why that, like, like, so many people are, like, walking down this road is because it's, like, the average person doesn't, like, for one, know, know where to start, but it doesn't need to be, like, anything more except for just, like, like, keeping your routine. Like, I don't understand why the narrative that came into our world with all this is that give up on your routine. Like, don't even bother trying to keep, like, go sleep in till nine if you usually wake up at six, because, like, what's the point? But, like, you know, like, with you, like, is, like, the same thing for me. I'm, like, like, I want to keep my routine. Like, I want to keep doing this. And if it's, like, you know, if I'm going to be working less, I'm going to be hiking more. Or if I'm going to be working less, I'm going to be finding out new protocols to be able to try out and experiment with, because now I have the time to be able to do that. You know, but, like, why why is our world shifted into this, like, when we have the chance to be lazy, it's not even lazy as in I'm just going to like, just kick my feet up. Like it's lazy at like, at all costs and all detriment to like your future health. Because I was saying this to my buddy this morning, like when we were um, working out, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, how are we going to switch these gears? Cause he's like, think how busy you're going to be when we get back going, cause like all these people are going to be dying to get back in the gym. They've gained all this weight, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, I actually think it might be the opposite because like the people who have been prioritizing stuff like you and I, there's a big herd of us. Those people are itching to be able to get back into doing these things, but there's far more people who are, this is the perfect excuse to say, fuck it all, you know? And now they've been living it for like almost two months. And like, we know it only takes two to four weeks to be able to ingrain a new habit in people. These people were fence-sitting before, and now the wheels have come completely off the bus and then have ingrained this new routine, and we're two months into it now. And it might even be another two months before we even kind of start to like come out of it. So what about, where does that leave all these people? Like, you know, of over 60% of people, you know, in the United States are at high risk for having um, type 2 diabetes or have type 2 diabetes. What's that number going to be like in a year from now or two years from now when all these people have completely like curbed all the like really minor like health and wellness protocols because they now have this COVID-19 lifestyle in them. Exactly. And 
I don't know if you've seen all like the jokes online of people saying, oh, I was going to start the gym this week. Now the gym's closed. Well, now's the time to maybe get that confidence, like get it outside in your backyard, do some burpees, try to do a push up against your house. That's going to make you feel so accomplished. And then I hear people making excuses like, well, it's really hard to get up and go to the gym. I'm, I'm self-conscious. Well, now while everyone's stuck at home, you end up going to them, you know, I apologize. I keep getting calls. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) But it is that thing, like what you're saying, like there's, there's more free online fitness content now than there ever has been ever, you know? So like, if if you're going to opt into like, like every demographic you could possibly think of is online in some kind of group doing some kind of workout. Like if you're like, 200 over 200 pounds overweight as a woman or you know if you're an emaciated man or vice versa or black white or anything like in between like a, there, there's something literally for everybody in the fitness landscape right now offered for free online all you have to do is choose to opt into that and some of it is completely faceless like you're not actually joining like a group per se it's just there's somebody in your category who's offering something along those lines you know like it's it's like, like you said, I think right now is the perfect time for these people who are saying that, you know, I'm kind of scared to walk into a gym or, you know, like I don't have the confidence to be able to like walk into a gym. This is the perfect time to really start that process going down that road. But it's also the problem that I was talking about is like people want the excuse not to have to be that, not to have that accountability and do it. Because you think of the people who were like in the gym who kind of felt like they had to be there. Like a lot of them, like, it's not like that they're like, okay, I'm going to do these at home workouts now. And they were the ones who kind of won the battle a little bit. And now they're at home, like not doing anything. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I think a lot of people look at, um, you know, you and I, for an example, that walk to the gym, assuming that it's easy for us to get there. I don't know about you, but some days I don't want to, I just don't. But the second I start moving, I'm all in and us quote unquote, physically fit people, you know, we are like everyone else. We had a story prior to what actually makes us walk in through that door every single day. So we're all one in the same, whether if someone is just starting out or someone's five years into their journey, like we all have the same goal and is just to live a better life for us to enjoy each day outside of the gym, to be able to you know, focus when you're talking with someone to be able to get up and down and throw your kids around without throwing out your back. You know, there's so much more than just being physically active. It's just the quality of life everywhere gets enhanced. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like, like my question to you is like knowing like kind of like who you are and like, like the experimenting that you're willing to do, like, where do you see yourself going from here on? Like, the experimenting that you've done like on the carnivore diet, the ketogenic diet, and now you're kind of like entering like a little bit more like plant-based fats into the diet. Is that something that you're going to keep up with? Like, are you going to take this time to be able to kind of experiment like with your health and wellness protocols to kind of figure out like what's going to be the best route for Priscilla to be able to, uh, to exercise like coming out of this COVID-19 thing? Like, like where are you at? Dietary wise, I feel like I'm always going to be animal based. Like if it's not a hundred percent, it's going to be pretty darn close, like 98%. Um, I just know that's what makes me feel the best. It's what makes me want to move. And when I want to move, I feel good. It's what makes my sleep even gets impacted like intermittent fasting. I don't think I told you that I was 
purposely trying not to fast to put on 10 pounds of lean body mass because that's what you got to do. You got to, you, you want to constantly feed yourself. So I was purposely not fasting for some months. Now I'm back to fasting and it's like second nature. I don't know if I'm going to continue this to quote unquote, like tone up since I ended up introducing some vegetables. I didn't like the way that my body felt. Um, I felt a little glitchy here and there. Um, I did get an increased performance level, but I don't really think that outweighs, you know, the being restless at night and stuff like that. Um, I used to be of the mindset that you need higher fats. And when I mean higher fats, I mean like a two to one ratio, two grams of fat to every gram of protein. I felt like my body needed that. My brain needed that to keep a stable mood and just be, you know, functional. I don't necessarily believe that anymore. I believe that I'm going to eat protein till satiety. So even if that's a lot more protein and then just cycle in fats as need be, if I'm feeling, because fat is energy. So if my body's not getting it from myself, like my fat stores, well, then I need to add in a little bit more dietary fats. Carbohydrates will probably be, you know, if I'm at my mother-in-law's house and she's having us pick blackberries off of her blackberry bush, of course, I'm going to have a couple. I don't think it's going to kill me, but I don't think that's where I want to center my diet around. I just find that I like meat better and that's just what works for me. Yeah. Um, and then like outside of like nutrition, like when it comes to like, I know, cause you've been dabbling into like this different style of workout the last little while and stuff, but like, like, do you see yourself ever getting into like, you know, like regular, like sauna, like ice bath, like, you know, like, like where, where are you at in like that landscape where you're kind of looking at like the biohacking side of, of things to be able to stack, like, you know, like immunity, higher cell enrichment, you know, bone marrow enrichment, like, like where are you at with all those protocols? So for one, I want to buy a juve light which I want to do more red light therapy. Like I was outside for most of this podcast. I want to be exposed to the sun more. Um, I looked into buying a sauna for my house because I don't know how long this COVID-19 stuff is supposed to last. And um, yeah, they can get pricey, but a lot of people are investing their money in, like you said, Skittles earlier, that stuff adds up. I want to invest my money in my health. So if I got to spend a couple grand on a sauna to have that at my home and have that for an extended amount of time, I'm willing to do that for my health. Ice baths. Um, I see it. <laughs> I'm just a big baby when it comes to that. <laughs> I would rather just expose myself to the cold, like late at night. I, I take walks all the time, not only to get, you know, my neat up, but for my mental clarity, I just like to walk. So at night when it's cooler out, I want to make myself purposely uncomfortable. I don't want to throw on jeans and a sweater. I want to stay in, you know, my shorts and my t-shirt and be uncomfortable for that hour that I'm outside walking. Cause that's going to give me resilience exposing myself to the natural elements in that um and in that regard that like the research shows that um if you are minimally dressed um which i guess could be subject to interpretation but i would assume that you know like maybe like shorts and a t-shirt you know for example um in 60 degree weather um i think it's for longer than 20 or 25 minutes that you already start to see the metabolic change of uh white blood cells into brown fat cells um, because then obviously like brown fat cells having a mitochondria, they help produce heat, um, you know, so then it's going to help burn energy to be able to heat your body, 
you know, so even at like at that little bit of a variation of like temperature with just a, like a little bit of clothes and just that exposure, you already see those metabolic processes happening. So yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't need to be as extreme as like sitting in an ice bath. Like what you're doing is according to the research is definitely like a, a proper protocol for sure. Yeah. I see you doing a lot of ice, ice baths now. Tell me about that. Um, it's actually something I've done a, a lot of, um, over the course of period of time, I've just taken like the last, like, you know, like maybe like four months, like off of doing it. Um, because like we shut our, our ice tank down. So like essentially what we did is we have this, this tank and they're actually for chicken farms. Um, and they have something to do with like circulating, like the water or something like, I actually don't even really know what their actual application. I just know that we get them from chicken farms. Um, and they have a refrigeration unit like built right onto it because like, this is kind of the thing that we realized with an ice bath is that if you buy like a container, there's like some people who have like injection molded containers, like a little ladder, then you hop into like a tub or you get like a 50 gallon drum to, to sit in. The problem is, is the cost of ice afterwards is so high. So like if you go to the store and you buy like 10 bags of ice, you're like, you know, almost $30 into ice every time. And if you want to do it, you know, three or four days a week, like obviously like that expense just doesn't even make any sense. Right. Um, and then if you get a commercial grade ice machine, because you need a commercial grade ice machine, because you need the volume of ice, you're about $2,000, you may be about 1500 into this commercial grade ice machine, but then you need to plumb it in. And, you know, it's this big ass unit. Plus then you have this other thing that you need to put the water into, and then you have to drain that water. Like everything about it's just a huge pain in the ass. So like this thing, like what we designed has this refrigeration unit on it and we dump Epsom salts and like a little bit of bleach in there. And I think it's like, for like the whole entire container, it's like a, a half a cup of bleach. It's just to kill a little bit of the, the bacteria. But the Epsom salts we put in there, not only for the magnesium, but also to help prevent the water from freezing. Um, and then it circulates through at minus two degrees. And we try to do about like, like six to eight minutes, um, you know, in the ice bath at, at about minus two degrees. Sometimes it can get a little bit cooler than that. Like this morning, I think it was probably like minus three, minus four degrees um in that water because there's definitely like a big layer of ice on the bottom of the, the tank right now um but like i find the norepinephrine release the next day to be like absolutely phenomenal it's like i've never done like cocaine or heroin or anything but like just like i would feel like this has got to be the euphoric feeling that people get from doing those drugs um because like like you you're giddy like it, it all right, so there might be a little bit of bump in there because Priscilla's phone died. But again, essentially what I saw about is just the, the juxtaposition between like why, like when people do drugs and like the norepinephrine release you get the next day from going in like the ice bath, like is crazy. Like I'm giddy like a little child. Like it, it it's funny. Like I, like I legitimately feel like high because of all this norepinephrine going on, you know, in my body, you know, never mind like, you know, like. I, I just want to believe the science and knowing that my white blood or my white blood cell count is increasing um, because of it. Uh, I know my inflammation, you know, from all of the, like the athletic endeavors that I do is dramatically decreased when I'm in there. But the one thing that I really focus on is that like, when you come out of the ice bath, like, you know, about six, seven minutes in about that minus two, minus three degrees. And then I go directly into the hot tub to be able to like warm up and get my body temperature st stable you have a slight chill to your body for the entire rest of the day. And about midday, if you can hack the rest of your day, it's incredible because your energy level just goes like right down because 
you're you're fighting to be able to produce energy to warm your body back up for so long after um but to me i don't look at that as like a bad thing i look at that as a good thing because i know how much of my white uh, fat tissue is now being converted into brown fat tissue like at those points because again like that's just like what the science tells me which is what i want like i want even my fat working for my body producing energy you know so i have all of these resources working in my capacity so like i actually really really like it it is definitely a lot of mental conditioning to like want to get in there but you just have to plunge right in find two good songs that really like help you mentally get through things and just go for it. Wow. That's really interesting. See, I wish I could be more like, I know the benefits that excites me to hear that. I just need to get past the point of, you know, trying it. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It took me a long time to get comfortable uh, doing that, but actually what helped really fine tune that for me was um, because when I go hiking, I swim in all the glacier lakes like I'll always just like gear down, hop in, swim around a little bit. And I couldn't figure out why initially, like when I would come off some hikes, the next day I would feel completely fine. And then some hikes, my body would feel beat up. And then that's when I realized when we hike in and we get to a lake and we go swimming for like 10, 15 minutes and then come out because that water's so cold that like you, you release all like that that tension and you know you have all these endorphins in your body and like you have you stack the cards in your favor halfway through your hike that the next day you feel fine so i was like oh i'm like that, that's why i need to do this so i'm like no matter what no matter how bad like cognitively i think this is the benefit far outweighs the discomfort of sitting in this thing for a few minutes oh definitely and you know what that's a good thing to sum this up with because i do need to go pick up my children soon yeah. um is just getting past like your comfort zone and knowing what is a worth it and what is not like what are the benefits to this to not doing it like outweighing the good and the bad and even if it's something that you think you're uncomfortable with you might surprise yourself that you might enjoy it you know yeah which is going to be you when you start doing ice baths oh definitely i'll get back to you when i start doing that <laughs> okay i won't hold you up any longer i really appreciate you taking the the time out to be able to come on. I just, I always really love having you on and it's always such a great conversation and, and I really appreciate it. So, so have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah.